Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you guys waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. The options are endless with Factor. Two-minute meals. Fill up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. How about some snacks, some smoothies, and more? Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Factor is also the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. And you guys can be very flexible with your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the most important part, there's no prep. No mess. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping. There's no cooking or cleanup that is needed. If that sounds great to you guys, head to factormeals.com slash script 50 and use code script 50 to get 50% off. That's code script 50 at factormeals.com slash script 50 to get 50% off. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Why is AEW successful? Why is Tony Khan running his promotion better than Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard are running Monday night and Friday night? Long-term booking. going on guys thank you so very much for joining me right here on off the scripts this is your smackdown and aew rampage post show the next day for may 27th 2022 i am your host jd from new york as always coming to you live from the ots venue thank you guys so very much for joining me on your saturday afternoons Wherever you may be, it is May 28th, man. May 28th, last night was Friday Night SmackDown, AEW Rampage. 
You know, I contemplated whether or not to come on here today, man, and really talk about pro wrestling. I know it's Memorial Day weekend, and I know everybody is enjoying the hopefully beautiful weather, whether you're in Las Vegas for double or nothing, or if you're by the Jersey Shore here on the on the East Coast, or you're just spending time at home, man. It's always great to spend time at home and have Memorial Day right in the comfort of your backyard, man. A couple of dogs, a couple of burgers on the grill, a couple of ice-cold beverages. Nothing wrong with that. And I know a lot of people right now are enjoying the beginning of the summer. So I really contemplated whether or not to come on here, man. But last night, House of Glory had the Holy Grail show on Fight TV, and that's why I wasn't able to go live last night. And I made a, a, you know, a late-minute decision, a late decision last night. I set the show up for today somewhere around 2.30 in the morning last night or early this morning. And I said, why not? Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's go, let's go live and talk about SmackDown. Don't really like being away from the live streams during the week. I know you guys look forward to them. I look forward to them. So that's why I'm here this afternoon, man, on OTS Live for SmackDown and AEW Rampage. I did catch SmackDown after the show was over uh, last night when I got home from Hog. I did watch Rampage this morning. Obviously, Rampage was the better of the two shows, in my honest and humble opinion. SmackDown was completely boring and lifeless as usual as they went up against a pivotal Game 6 of the NBA playoffs between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. Game 7 happening on Sunday which will be uh, a winner-go-home situation. And Tony Khan has loaded Double or Nothing up with 13 matches, which I'm sure at some point this weekend I will be ranting about because it is absolutely unnecessary to have 13 fucking matches on a wrestling pay-per-view. Any show. It doesn't matter if it's WWE, 13 matches... And what is looking like a five-hour pay-per-view is absolutely unnecessary. I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point today. I'm sure I'll mention it sometime tomorrow on OTS Live for 432. Absolutely unnecessary, man. But holy grail last night. House of Glory, man. If you guys are watching on Fight TV, which I hope you were, you listened to the sweet sounds of myself and Salamonster and Dr. Hillary P. Wisdom. Great show last night. Jeff Cobb and Jonah. Jonah advances in the House of Glory World Title Tournament, man. Absolutely two big bulls going at it. They collided, and Jonah got the tsunami splash, which was the highlight of my night, man. Jason and I, along with uh, Dr. Hillary P. Wisdom, man, the three-man booth, we did the tsunami call in unison. It was the highlight of my night. Couldn't wait to see it, man. Couldn't wait to see it. We got it. It was great. And it was awesome. He, he advances. He's actually going up against Eddie Kingston in the next match he has to get through in this tournament. So that should be great. Eddie Kingston versus Jonah. That's coming up in June for the next House of Glory show. We also had Charles Mason retain via nefarious means with a crooked ref. The Crown Jewel Championship over Cashflow Cam Broadway and what I thought was a highlight of the night. And the best match of the entire night for me was the Briscoes. Yes, the Briscoes are House of Glory Tag Team Champions. They successfully defended the titles against an upcoming team. I want you guys to start paying attention to them when you see them. Give them your attention, man. Midas Black and Jay Lyon, the main events 
Gonna be something special, man. They had the match of their lives last night against the Briscoes. Easily the best match of the night. Super proud of those two guys going in there against possibly the best tag team on the planet. It's either them or FTR for the best tag team on the planet right now, and that is unbelievable, man. So if you guys missed the House of Glory show, it is available on Fight TV. You guys can go check that out, and that's the reason why I wasn't live for SmackDown and Rampage last night. OTS Live will be tomorrow afternoon, man. We got a busy weekend here. An absolutely busy weekend. I will be live tomorrow afternoon with OTS 432, getting you guys caught up on all the news. Jesse and I will be doing a Twitter Spaces tomorrow as well for predictions. We're going to hang out for a little bit and go over the Double or Nothing card. Predictions on Twitter. So if you guys are on Twitter, you guys will get a notification at some point, either later today or early tomorrow morning. So make sure you guys join us for that, man. We really want to blow up Twitter and really make our spaces the place to be for Double or Nothing. I already notified him about it. He's good to go. And we'll do that live on Twitter. So make sure you guys follow me on Twitter at JD from NY206. And OTS432 should be live around the same time tomorrow, 1 p.m. So we should be doing big things tomorrow, man. Very, very busy day tomorrow. And then obviously I will be live for Double or Nothing after the show is over and hopefully I'm still alive with all the wrestling content that will be tomorrow afternoon. Make sure you guys go check out all the other videos that you might have missed on the channel, man. Tons of it there. Live streams up and down the channel. Go and check out all this week's content on the homepage. Hit that subscribe button down below. Turn on the bell for all notifications. Make sure you guys also may, uh, go check my sponsor for today's show. That is Honey. Joinhoney.com slash off the scripts. We'll talk about my great friends over at Honey a little bit later on in the show. Get those super chats in. You guys got those super chats coming on in. We'll hang out at the end of the show as always. You guys can ask me anything you want. Tell me what you thought of last night's great main event for AEW Rampage between Ruby Soho and Chris Statlander. Join the OTS VIP club, man. Join the channel. Become a channel member. That is open to everybody, so make sure you guys hit that join button and become a VIP right here on Off The Scripts. And go get your t-shirts, man. We got a brand new t-shirt on bonfire.com, man. The dawn of the IWC. That is the new design now available exclusively only on bonfire.com, the home of everything you need as far as merchandise is concerned for Off The Script, man. The Dawn of the IWC now available on bonfire.com. Let's start, man. Let's get into the SmackDown post-show last night from Little Rock, Arkansas. Not a very good show last night at all. And WWE almost booked and produced the show with very little life and very little care, knowing that they were going to be demolished by the NBA playoffs, the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics last night, which I heard was a very, very good game. So we start with the Usos. The Usos won the Unified Tag Team Championships from Randy Orton and Matt Riddle, RK-Bro. Last week, we now have one tag team champion, one tag team division and I hope that stays the way it is for a very long time. And if you're Corey Graves, Corey Graves even agrees with having less championships 
and unifying more championships in the WWE. We'll go over what he said on After the Bell in just a second. But the Usos, they beat RK Bro last week. Matt Riddle is still hanging around as it's rumored that Matt Riddle and, Ra- uh, Matt Riddle and uh, Randy Orton, obviously, they will no longer be going after the tag team championships. They are now moving on to singles roles. Matt Riddle will be challenging Roman Reigns, rumored, at Money in the Bank, and Randy Orton will be challenging Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. That is the plan right now for Roman Reigns and his next two feuds. But the Usos, they were out there. They were introduced as the new Undisputed Tag Team Champions, and they made their way to the ring, and I love the Usos promo. I think it's one of the best in WWE. A lot of intensity. They sound organic. They sound real. They sound natural. So anytime the Usos speak, I do end up stopping what I'm doing, dropping what I'm doing, and I listen to the Usos speak. They welcomed everybody to SmackDown. Jimmy asked the crowd to put their ones to the sky and say thank you to Roman Reigns. There was a mixed reaction from the crowd because this was borderline in their bloodline characters, in their heel roles, and they tried to be somewhat real and upfront with the audience, real and organic with the audience. Jay says he wants to thank Roman Reigns for allowing them to defeat RK-Bro all on their own, which we know was not the case. Roman Reigns interfered and shoved Matt Riddle off the top rope, which led to the Uso splash and the tag team championship being won. Jay then said that two days ago, it marked the 12-year anniversary of the Usos in WWE. I listened to this and I, and I said to myself, it's only been 12 years. Seems like it's been forever that the Usos have been in the WWE. Jay then said he never thought they would be standing there still in a WWE ring 12 years later. Jay then said the crowd has been there to see all of their ups and downs. He said the crowd watched them grow up in front of them. Jay then said that all the time they were away from their family, the fans were there. The fans were their family. Jay said the world is crazy these days. But he loves coming to SmackDown every week and being an entertainer. He said from the bottom of his and Jimmy's hearts, they would like to say thank you to the WWE Universe. Jay then said thank you to the crowd a couple more times. The crowd chanted, Uso, Uso, and was really starting to get on their side. Jimmy then took the mic and said for the past 12 years, they realized, and this is where they wasted everybody's time, They did not need anybody. They then said all they needed was each other, and they did not need the WWE fans at all. Jay said they're dripping in all the gold. Jimmy called them the undisputed tag team champions. The Usos said, Riddle, you figure out the riddle. You are the twos, and we are the ones. So Jimmy Uso... And Jay Uso realistically wasted our time cutting what was a heel promo to start, a babyface promo, and then right back to a heel promo and shit all over the WWE universe. We knew they were not going to thank the fans and have any gratitude towards the fans whatsoever, but WWE felt like they needed to fill a show and kill some time, and that's what they had the Usos go out there and do. Absolutely unnecessary, if you ask me. Coming from the Usos, it's unnecessary. If this was somebody else in a different situation, I would understand. But the Usos, they didn't really need to come out there and cut that promo. 
They could have went out there and did their usual stick, very cut and dry, and give us what we got next, which was Shinsuke Nakamura coming out. His music played. He came out, and he said that his partner and himself challenged the Usos to a match for the tag team championships. Nakamura said his partner wanted to fight the Usos all by himself, but that will not be allowed to happen. The Usos asked about Rick Boogs. He's got uh, Peg Leg Pete coming out. He's got Rick Boogs back, and they want the tag team titles and the tag team title opportunity. Nakamura then said, no, my partner is not Rick Boogs, and Matt Riddle's music hits, and he made his way down the aisle. Cole said that Riddle and Nakamura want revenge and have revenge on their mind. Nakamura and Riddle then jumped to the apron. The Usos met them, and a brawl began and knocked them both to the floor. Riddle slid into the ring by himself, and the Usos ganged up on him and tossed him out to the floor. Nakamura then slid in, slid in the ring, and the Usos double-teamed him as well. Riddle again entered the ring and took out the Usos with a floating bro. Nakamura came back and helped Riddle fight off the Usos, and the Usos dropped to the outside and stared down Nakamura and Riddle from the aisle way. Now, I thought, here I thought that Matt Riddle and Randy Orton were going to get another rematch for the Tag Team Championships, but this time, due to the outside interference with Roman Reigns last week on SmackDown, I thought we were going to get this match again at Hell in a Cell, inside Hell in a Cell. I think WWE, I don't know if that was the plan or not. I think that was at some point the plan until we got the news last week that Matt Riddle and Randy Orton will be challenging Roman Reigns individually for the Universal and WWE Championships going into the two major stadium shows, which WWE's having trouble selling out, by the way. If you guys don't know that news, we'll talk about it tomorrow on OTS 432. WWE had to move from Allegiant Stadium with Money in the Bank, and now they are in the more intimate... MGM Grand. So WWE having a problem selling tickets. No shit. It's 4th of July weekend. Nobody wants to be bothered with watching a fucking pro wrestling show on a national holiday where people just want to relax and cut all that shit out. Whoever came up with that idea, (laughs) Nick Khan, obviously a dumb fucking move. You know who did sell out? in Las Vegas during a major national holiday. It was Tony Khan and AEW, man. I, well, what's that show? What's that show this weekend, man? Double or nothing, right? They sold that shit out in about six minutes. <laughs> oh, my God, man. WWE in the mud again, man. You love to see it. You love to see all these big wig fucking uh, suit and ties thinking that they know what they're doing, man. But realistically, on the back end, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. At all, especially when it comes to writing good television. Anyway, I thought that was going to be the plan. All joking aside, I thought that was going to be the plan going into Money in the Bank, Hell in a Cell. And that's not the plan. I'm very excited about Riddle and Roman Reigns. I'm very excited about Orton and Roman Reigns. I'm very excited about the potential breakup of Randy Orton and Matt Riddle as Matt Riddle moves on up to the main event scene. WWE needs main event players, and Matt Riddle is a main event player. Whether you like him or not, Matt Riddle is fantastic. Matt Riddle is a main event player. Randy Orton and Matt Riddle, that is what's coming later in the year. But as far as what we see here, Nakamura not teaming with Riddle, I I don't really like these makeshift tag teams. I don't like how 
WWE is putting Nakamura in a tag team, Riddle back in a tag team, going after the Usos. I, I get that we need something to get us into money in the bank. I don't want to shit on this too much. I don't know if this match is going to take place again. I don't know why Riddle would get another tag team title match with a different partner against the Usos. I guess he's owed one after what happened. They injured Matt, uh, They injured both Matt Riddle and Randy Orton. Randy Orton is out, according to WWE. He's going to see a neurosurgeon for his back problems. I get that they're owed another tag team title opportunity because of what happened with Roman Reigns interfering. I get it, so I don't want to shit on it too much. And I get the fact, and this is what people might be missing here. The Usos took out Rick Boogs. Nakamura was without his tag team partner. They were supposed to go after the Usos. Matt Riddle had his tag team partner taken out. Matt Riddle's still standing. Randy Orton is uh, going to see back surgeons. So Matt Riddle had his tag team partner taken out by the bloodline. Nakamura had his partner taken out by the bloodline. So now they are joining forces for the common good here, and they're going after the Usos with the same thing in mind. These guys injured both of our partners. Let's team together and go after the tag team championships. On that hand, it makes sense. On the other hand, I'm kind of over RK bro or any semblance of RK bro going after the tag team championships as I think they're well beyond that as far as an act. So we will see what happens. Again, I didn't mind this. I get what they're trying to do here. They're saving Randy Orton and putting him on the shelf per storyline so that he can come back and get the revenge he's seeking on Roman Reigns as well. Matt Riddle, he's going to be first up against the Tribal Chief. Ultimately fail. That's where Randy Orton's going to come on in and they will do that match going into SummerSlam. So I didn't mind any of this. I just don't really want to see RK-Bro and the Usos again in any way, shape, or form. I feel like we've been given this way too many times over the last couple of months. We got a video recap of Ronda Drowsy. My God, man. Ronda Drowsy. Ronda Drowsy, man. You want to fall asleep? You have problems sleeping? All you need to do is listen to a Ronda Rousey promo, and you'll be out like a light, man. They showed a video package of Ronda's open challenge that was answered by Raquel Rodriguez. Yeah, smiley Raquel, man. She loves smiling, man. She's so happy. Everything, man. She's so happy. She's smiling everywhere, man. She can't stop smiling. Raquel Rodriguez, man. Oh, my goodness. So this video package shows the end of the match followed by the handshake that they had at the end of their match two weeks ago. And then WWE is selling the storyline here of Shotzi, Blackheart, and Aaliyah. They're upset that Raquel skipped them in the line to go get a title opportunity for the SmackDown Women's Championship against Ronda Rousey. So I'm sorry, I, I don't know on what planet Shotzi and Aaliyah think that they are able to hang with Ronda Rousey, let alone hang with Ronda Rousey and get an opportunity at the SmackDown Women's Championship. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Ronda has zero opponents on Friday Night SmackDown. Now you want to know and see and understand why Sasha Banks said, fuck this shit, I don't want any part of Ronda Rousey on Friday night. So Shotzi is backstage with Shayna Baszler and Natalia. Such enthralling television with Natalia and Shotzi Blackheart on television. Shotzi asks them why Rodriguez keeps getting opportunities. 
How many opportunities has Raquel Rodriguez gotten? She's gotten one opportunity. That is an opportunity. This is not an opportunities situation. Raquel Rodriguez has been here for half a cup of coffee and a fucking uh, half a Danish. She's not even enthralled and ingrained with the SmackDown Women's Championship. Yet, she should be over time when it's ready. But opportunities, she just got here. Shotzi Blackheart hasn't been given any opportunities for one reason or another. I can't figure it out. They called her up, and then they seemingly kept her in catering away from everybody else. Maybe they thought the green hair and the tattoos would scare off all the little children on Friday night. I don't know. So she exiled Lee why she wasn't getting a chance as she's undefeated. She's undefeated. How many matches does Zia Lee had on Friday night? Two? I can't even count. I don't even remember how many matches Zia Lee has had. I-, I can tell you how many meals and catering she's had. It's been one every Friday she's been missing off television. How many weeks is that? 30? 40? It's ridiculous. This woman debuted on Friday Night SmackDown via the draft and has been used on television twice. Yes, that's WWE really, really interested in using Zia Lee, man. Zia Lee, who, by the way, they did all these promos for, these vignettes for, and they were well-drawn up comic book vignettes about her being the protector. Then she comes out, and WWE ultimately drops the gimmick, and they say, or have Zia Lee say, that she is the protector no longer. Nobody respected her, so now all she is doing is protecting herself. WWE seemingly wasted all of our times Building up Zia Lee only to cancel and drop the babyface act. Now they turned her heel. All these women are wastes. Zia Lee walked off. Shotzi then turned to Aaliyah and said, she has a world record. What world record that is? I, I don't know. I mean, does anybody remember the, the world record? 3.16 seconds, I believe she beat an Italian Neidhart. Great. Great. Nobody gives a shit. Aaliyah told Shotzi to shut up, and she walked off. Shotzi then turned to Natalia and Shayna Baszler. She ran down both of their qualifications and then asked them what they are going to do about the problem. That is Raquel Rodriguez. Ali, uh, not Ali, uh, all three of the women here, uh, they, they looked very serious, and they agreed with Shotzi. So the camera, we go back to the ring. We see Raquel Rodriguez. <laughs> Smiling all over the place, waiting for Ronda Rousey to come out. And at the end of all of this, it looked like Natalia and Shayna agreed with Shotzi. They went to the ring, and they were going to do something about Raquel. Shotzi grabs her jacket and her helmet. She is about to walk out of the locker room, but Aaliyah was already outside the locker room because she left earlier in the segment, and she locked Shotzi Blackheart in the women's locker room. Because if you guys remember... If you were watching SmackDown two weeks ago, Shotzi locked Aaliyah out of the women's locker room, and now Aaliyah did the same thing to Shotzi. Wow. Wow, man. Such creative television, man. I don't know how long it took them to come up with this fucking knuckle-headed situation. So we go to the ring, and Ronda Rousey is there, and Raquel Rodriguez comes out. Smiling on everybody, right? Ronda Rousey comes out smiling. I can't wait. I can't wait. This is not on the level of Roman Reigns, but my God, man, I cannot wait till they turn Ronda Rousey into a heel. I hope to God that is what they're planning to do. Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch, no doubt about it, is what their plan is for next WrestleMania. 
I can't wait for Ronda Rousey to turn heel and Becky to go back to a babyface, man. So they're playing their appropriate roles. That's what needs to be done. And then we can say goodbye to Ronda Rousey forever. I can't wait. I can't wait for Ronda Rousey to just go and get the fuck out of WWE, man. She is absolutely nauseating television. So we got Ronda Rousey and Raquel Rodriguez, man. Do you guys remember how WWE came out and stated that Sasha Banks and Naomi were unprofessional because WWE couldn't deliver a main event match, a six-pack challenge. Ronda Rousey and Raquel Rodriguez advertised for hours before the show. They advertised this thing on social media hours before the show went on the air. Sasha Banks and Naomi walk out two weeks ago on Monday Night Raw. WWE gets live on the air and claims that Sasha Banks and Naomi are unprofessional because they walked out of the building and WWE says that they disappointed the the, the WWE Universe because they couldn't deliver a main event match on Monday night. WWE, in typical fashion, we get Raquel Rodriguez and Ronda Rousey. Match goes about a minute, goes to a no contest because... Natalia and Shayna Baszler come out and they stop the match from happening because they are also sick and tired of Raquel Rodriguez getting an opportunity against Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown Women's Championships. So I ask WWE, who exactly is unprofessional? You put on social media that this match was happening. The fans in attendance knew the match was happening. They were all looking forward to Raquel Rodriguez and Ronda Rousey at the start of the show only for the match to go a minute and then get then get turned into a tag team match that nobody, nobody, and I stress nobody, gives a shit about. Typical WWE, man. So I ask, who exactly is unprofessional? Is Sasha and Naomi unprofessional? Or is WWE unprofessional? I think they're two peas in a pod then, right? Give me a break. And Naomi and Sasha, by the way, had every reason to fucking walk out of the company due to their terrible fucking creative. So we didn't get this match. It went one minute. So then we are blessed with a tag team match. It is Raquel Rodriguez and Ronda Rousey versus Shayna Baszler and Natalia instead of the singles match. Now, the one-on-one match didn't make any sense to begin with. I don't even know why it was advertised. Why would WWE go and advertise that match happening again, even though it went one minute? Why would a second match between these two make any sense whatsoever? It's either Raquel wins the title on Friday night. If there was a match that was going to happen, Raquel wins the title on on Friday night. I don't know why anybody would think Raquel Rodriguez is beating Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey's holding that championship until next WrestleMania. We're not going to talk about a Raquel Rodriguez championship title run at all until Ronda uh, leaves the WWE. Nobody in that division is beating Ronda Rousey. The one that's going to beat Ronda Rousey is Becky Lynch because that's what they want for WrestleMania next year in Hollywood. So everything that you're seeing with Raquel Rodriguez right now is a complete waste of time. She's not winning the championship. She'll come close. WWE will make it entertaining. I think, I hope, WWE will give you the little glimmer of hope that Raquel is going to take down the evil Ronda Rousey. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Raquel is going to be sitting and catering just like everybody else until they are ready to do Ronda versus Becky. So what you're watching right now, telling you right now, is a complete waste of time. 
Hopefully, in that time, WWE builds up Raquel Rodriguez to a point where she's still looking strong, and she is somebody that we, as a fan base, can look at, minus the fucking smiling. <laughs> smiling everywhere, minus the smiling, as a credible threat in the women's division. She's got the look. She's got, she's not terrible in the ring. She's not great either, but she's got everything that you would want from somebody that should be in that women's division at a high level. So we'll see what happens with that. But we got this tag team match between Ronda Rousey and Raquel Rodriguez against Shayna Baszler and Natalia. The match started during a commercial break. We come back and in typical WWE fashion, they turn the singles match into a tag team match during the commercial. The heels here were in control. They isolated Rodriguez on their side of the ring, worked her over. Obviously, she made the hot tag and tagged in Ronda Rousey. She ran wild on both Natalia and Shayna Baszler here. Natalia caught her in a sharpshooter. Rousey fought back and tagged in Rodriguez. You know, not, not many people really made a big deal about Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey on opposite teams here. I don't even think they had any interaction in the fucking match, which I hope WWE saves for a little bit more of an important situation somewhere down the line. I think that would be a nice little pairing. I think that'd be great. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Rousey fought back. She tagged back in Rodriguez. Rodriguez hit a corkscrew splash, but Natalia made the save. Rousey and Baszler, they did face off here. Uh, but Natalia pulled Rousey out and obviously, they didn't really do much, but there was a brief stare down there. Rousey took out Natalia. Rodriguez then hit the power bomb. Well, they call it the Chinaga bomb or the Chinoga bomb, right? Is a Raquel Rodriguez finishing move. I got a, a little note on that. So Rodriguez sits her power bomb finish on Baszler for the one, two, three. And that was pretty much the end of this tag team match. Ronda Rousey and. <laughs> Smiley Raquel win the match against Natalia and Shayna Baszler. Now, I do have a note on Raquel Rodriguez and what they have her doing now as far as a finishing move is concerned. WWE made a slight change to Raquel Rodriguez's finishing move because the name of her move was deemed too vulgar. Now, Friday Night SmackDown, we saw this tag team match Rodriguez's move last night was called the Texana instead of the Chinag uh, Ching Chingona bomb, or however you pronounce it. Last week, the announcers referred to the move as the Chingona bomb, and it was muted 
last week on Friday Night SmackDown due to the seven-second delay. Apparently, WWE found out about the meaning of the word while they were on the air because the announcers wouldn't have said it if they were informed ahead of time. So, to many people, the word chingona means badass woman. The word also means, in other ways, the word means fuck. So, WWE decided to end that and give it a new name. Instead of taking the move away from her, they decided to just have Raquel rename the move. Now, I don't really understand what the big deal is. I mean, someone like me who uses the word fuck in the everyday, daily activity, me, I don't find the problem with it. I don't think anybody in normal human society has a fucking problem with the word and what the meaning of the word means. Badass woman, fuck, whatever the case may be. WW, I get why they do it because they are geared towards children. But I don't really see the big deal about changing something like that because of its meaning. I mean, if it was anything worse than badass woman or anything worse than fuck, I mean, I would understand it. But this is just another situation where WWE presents themselves as uncool. They are painfully uncool. They don't want to do anything that is outside their bubble. They don't want to do anything that is going to ruffle any feathers or even give them the slightest about being normal. WWE always has to live in their little their little WWE bubble and they can't really allow any real life or any normalcy into their bubble, man. God forbid the fucking company does something or comes off in a way where they're actually acting natural and things look real and feel real and sound real. I would understand it a little bit better. But me, where I am right now, I don't really get it. It's just a fucking word. It's not in any way, shape, or form racist, or it's not derogatory to a point where it it should never be a thing. But if that is what they're concerned about, I think they have their list of priorities completely ass backwards. That's just me. So... We got Raquel Rodriguez and Ronda Rousey. I don't know what Ronda... I don't even know if Ronda Rousey is promoted or advertised for the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. It looks like we may be getting... Because there is nobody else. There is nobody else. Since Sasha walked out, Ronda Rousey has zero opponents on Friday night. Aaliyah is not challenging Ronda Rousey. That's not a pay-per-view match. Shotzi Blackheart is almost as good as gone from this company. So is Aaliyah. So they are not challenging Ronda Rousey. That is not a pay-per-view match. Natalia, we've seen it. Shayna Baszler, maybe. I don't know. WWE has that potentially to look forward to. If they want to build up a storyline there, it's pretty much already written. So I don't know if they're going to do that or not, but we will see. Charlotte Flair just got married yesterday. Seen pictures all over social media. Congratulations to Charlotte and Andrade. WWE may be in a situation where they are forced to go back to Ronda and Charlotte because they have nobody else. Bailey is on the DL. She's due to come back anytime. I've been saying that is going to be the match that WWE is going to promote this summer. I would like to see it, but I don't really think, like I said before, Ronda Rousey is losing that championship before we get to Becky Lynch. Does Ronda and Becky need the championship? No, it doesn't. But in WWE's eyes, they'd love to have Becky beat Ronda for the Monday Night Raw or SmackDown Women's Championships, whatever the case may be. 
So I do think that the title will be on the line there unless WWE wants to give it to somebody like Bailey and put it back on somebody who is going to be there uh, for a more full-time basis. I would actually like that. I think that would probably benefit the roster because Bailey is more apt to go one-on-one with everybody else that I just mentioned instead of Ronda. Ronda is up here just because of who she is and the legitimacy that she brings to the table. And that doesn't necessarily match up with everybody else on the roster. It's going to look fucking ass backwards when you put Ronda Rousey in there with somebody like Shotzi Blackheart. It's not going to matter, and it's not going to really mean much to anybody. The legitimacy factor is not there. So, Bailey winning the championship, I'd love to see it. I think that would be great. WWE has nobody. They're going to struggle mightily to find opponents for Ronda Rousey going on through the rest of 2022. I, I I honestly think it's impossible. I deem it impossible. It's an impossible fucking uh, climb for WWE to really overcome what they've done and what they've done to the women's division. We'll see what happens. We got more nothing happening on this show. We got the Los Lotharios. We got the Lethal Lovers here. They are in a match with Jinder Mahal, and Shanky. Why? I don't know. I I don't really understand how this, this, of all things, made the show. So, they make their entrance, does Los Lotharios, and they did their kiss cam. Shockingly, they found the woman front row, and they kissed her on the cheeks, they entered the ring. Kiss cam is very cringe. I'm not a big fan of the kiss cam. I think it's cringe. The way WWE, first of all, their music is terrible. And when WWE's got that big a heart graphic around the screen indicating the kiss cam is coming, it, it just looks, it, it looks terrible. It really just feels cringe. It does. So they do their kiss cam, and Jinder Mahal and Shanky are their opponents. Jinder Mahal's music hits in the arena, and nobody comes out. Nobody comes out at all. So they show the camera in the back. Mahal is in the back looking for Shanky. He stumbled upon Shanky in one of the locker rooms, He's dancing to Jinder Mahal's entrance music. Why? I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with Shanky. I don't know why they have him secluded away in the locker room. And no, he doesn't have any good moves. He looks like a fucking nimrod. He looks like a geek dancing in the locker room when he's getting ready for a match, or he should be getting ready for a match with Jinder Mahal, dancing in the locker room. So back in the arena, Los Lotharios is outside dancing with Samantha Irvin, the SmackDown ring announcer. She didn't look all that impressed at all, and neither would Ricochet. Mahal's music hit again. He and Shanky come out. They make their entrance. Shanky danced down the ramp, and the announcers called him, or the announcer, Samantha Irvin, called him the skyscraping Shanky. Now, I don't know what they're doing, I don't know if they're giving him a new gimmick. I don't know if they're breaking him away from Jinder Mahal. But whatever the fuck the case is, it's got to go. This is this, this, this is what SmackDown is. And this is what SmackDown has devolved into. And this is what Fox, Fox Sports, this is what they're paying for. They're, they're paying for, for, for fucking shanky dancing. This is what they're doing. This is where their billions are going. Shanky dancing on SmackDown. The Lethal Lovers dancing on SmackDown. It's broken down into an absolute fucking cringe 
fest on Friday night. And then you want to know why no one's watching this show when you have fucking segments and matches like this. WWE, like I said in the thumbnail, it's almost as if they knew they were going to get demolished by the NBA playoffs. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. What happened in this match? I don't know why anybody would fucking care. Neither of these two teams are doing anything for the tag team championships. So at the end of the day, this was nothing more than a waste of five minutes. The match went three. The hijinks went another two or three. And it was awful. So we got Los Lotharios winning here. Garza ripped his pants off, started dancing for the ring announcer. Shanky took him out. Carrillo took out Mahal with a big flying kick. And that was enough to get the victory for Los Lotharios. Mahal yelled at Shanky at ringside after the match was over for dancing and not really being focused on the match. Shanky then waved him off. Goodbye, go away. He then went over to dance with Samantha Irving some more as the match and the segment came to a close. What was this? Why is there dancing all of a sudden? Why all of a sudden are we seeing Shanky dance and Los Lotharios dancing with what's going on? The one thing that I thought about here and the one thing that I think WWE may be planning, I could be wrong, but LA Knight, who is now Max Dupree on SmackDown with uh, Maximum Male Models is his new agent. We could be looking at Shanky with the unorthodox and bizarre turn of Shanky all of a sudden becoming this big monster for Jinder Mahal only to be turned into a dancing fucking clown. The only thing I could really pinpoint this to is that Shanky may be in consideration for L.A. Knight, Max Dupree, and the Maximum Male Models. I, I, I don't think that's a good fit for L.A. Knight, but I don't know anything else. I can't really put my finger on why he would just all of a sudden turn into a dancing clown on Friday night. This was ridiculous. I don't know who booked it. I don't know why Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo, if they put some seriousness behind Garza and Carrillo and gave them a real fucking vibe to them instead of being fucking geeks out there. If they gave them any effort at all to be a solid tag team, I guarantee you Garza and Carrillo would be a top-tier tag team in the WWE, but they don't give a shit. They don't give it. They are way too good to be riddled with this fucking terrible booking. That's just my opinion on those two. If WWE took these two guys, and they're going to need tag teams, and made them just a little bit serious, they'd be fucking great. But instead, they're dancing, and everybody looks like a fucking geek in this entire segment. So, we got Xavier Woods in the New Day. Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods in the New Day. Apparently, they got a mystery tag team partner who I knew when they announced this shit going into tonight's show, I knew it was going to be Drew McIntyre. That's who it was. They got Drew McIntyre to come over from, or actually, no, he's, he is on SmackDown. There were Monday Night Raw superstars on this show. I'll talk about that in a second during the Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens segment that a KO show. Drew McIntyre was the chosen opponent. You didn't see that till the main event for Sheamus, Butch, and Ridge Holland. He was their tag team partner with the New Day against the Brawling Brutes in the main event. Yes, another Brawling Brutes and New Day saga 
on Friday night. New Day were in the back with Megan Morant. She asked who their partner would be. Kofi Kingston said that Netflix doesn't give away the ending to Stranger Things. WWE trying to be cool, talking about the things that are most popular now. Oh, you love to see it, man. WWE trying to hang on to any sort of relevancy whatsoever. Xavier Woods then said that with B.E. out, their partner could be anyone. They ran down a bunch of ridiculous options. Kingston said it could even be Megan Morant. Woods says that they will have a partner by their side that they will have and he will help them beat the brawling brutes. So we get this tag team match at the end. And I mean, it makes no sense at all to have it be anybody but Drew McIntyre in there against Sheamus and Rich Holland and Butch. So we move on from that and we get into the second hour of the show. Adam Pierce is watching in the back after Shanky is dancing with Samantha Irvin. And Max Dupree, Max Dupree appears in front of Adam Pierce. He asks if Pierce had talked to the legal side so he can debut his male modeling agency, the Maximum Male Models. Pierce said that the legal papers worked out. He then welcomed Dupree officially to SmackDown. Dupree then said he needs to find his client first and or his first client. He told Pierce that he doesn't make the cut, and then he walked off. So now the rumor was that L.A. Knight, now Max Dupree, is going to have the maximum male models be Mace and Mansoor. Now, neither one of those two guys look like anybody that I want to see on television, let alone be paired with fucking Max Dupree, L.A. Knight. WWE's not going to put Mace and Mansoor in the maximum male models, what that will do, and I mean this wholeheartedly, Mansoor is very good. I don't know much about Mace or uh, Dio Madden, but he is not somebody that I want to see on television. He's lucky he even has a fucking job at this point and hasn't been fucking cut. But if maximum male models ends up being the team of Mansoor and Mace, this is going to fail immediately. This will bomb. They will blame Max Dupree, they will blame Eli Drake for this. They'll blame LA Knight. And then they'll end up dropping the entire act, only then to cut Max Dupree and fire him and give him his future endeavor. I don't want to see that happen. I think LA Knight is so fucking good that he's going to get the character of Max Dupree over. Doesn't really deviate away so much from what we saw of LA Knight as a heel in NXT. It's just the fucking name that I find to be unnecessary. You didn't need to change L.A. Knight. I mean, L.A. Knight, when I think of maximum male models or models, I think of L.A. L.A. Knight. I mean, that fit. Just the name itself fit with what he wants to do with maximum male models. And WWE ended up changing a name that they already owned in L.A. Knight that everybody got used to, only to change it to Max Dupree. No reason why they needed to change the name. But I can't see Mason Mansoor a part of the maximum male models. Why would you want to see them? Why would you want to see Mason Mansoor in the maximum male model? You know who should be in the maximum male models? Do you know who WWE, once upon a time, fired that had a great gimmick, that fit the gimmick so well that he fit like a glove? Especially if you don't really like his promo work, having Max Dupree speak for him? That's somebody 
was Tyler Breeze. Tyler Breeze had the makings of the next Rick Martel for the modern-day WWE product. He had a take on Shawn Michaels. He had a take on Mr. Perfect, the way he wrestled and the way he executed, how he moved in the ring. He had that Rick Martel vibe to him, but just with a modern-day twist. Why you would fire somebody like that that had a perfect gimmick, especially in NXT? Perfect gimmick for the main roster until WWE got bored of it, and he should have been ingrained with the Intercontinental title. Man, he was the perfect guy to look at that Intercontinental Championship. WWE ended up firing him. For what reason, I don't know. So good is Tyler Breeze. He fit perfect with the maximum male models. So who are you going to get? Who is on the SmackDown roster that you could see fit into the maximum male models? Right now, there is no one, unless they have somebody in mind from NXT that they want to bring up. I don't know. I don't know what WWE is doing with this new group on SmackDown, but it ain't, and I'm telling you right now, it ain't Mansoor, and it's not Mace. So I don't know what WWE is doing. The longer they wait, and the more times we see Max Dupree come out and get at Adam Pearce's face and say, oh, I'm still looking for my first client. This is the second week now. We'll be on week five or week six in LA night. Max Dupree is going to be saying the same thing. And at that point, I'm going to come on here and tell you that WWE themselves don't even know who they want to put in the maximum male models. This is going to bomb before it even starts. And LA night is too good for any of this shit to bomb on Friday night. This gimmick... This role for him, is too, he's too good for it. I don't think L.A. Knight is already, at this point, being used to his utmost potential. He's so fucking good, he's going to try and get it over, and we're going to be on his side because he's that good. But I can't. he's fighting an uphill battle as far as I am concerned. Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is out there from Monday Night Raw. Kevin Owens is a Monday Night Raw superstar. He's out there doing a KO show on Friday Night SmackDown, because WWE's roster right now on Friday night is so fucking abysmal that they need Kevin Owens and Matt Riddle and anybody else that they want to bring on over to Friday night from Monday to help fill in the gaps because there is such a huge gap in the Friday night roster. So why is Kevin Owens? Why is Kevin Owens, who's a Monday Night Raw superstar, on Friday Night SmackDown? Well, there was news earlier in the week that WWE is finally ending the brand split. This was talked about on the Observer Live with Brian Alvarez in a new report earlier this week. Now, we've seen WWE be less brand split over the last couple of months. Both men's titles now are on SmackDown. We've had unification matches. We've had... The Usos and RK Bro, they've been trading on shows back and forth. Kevin Owens showed up on Friday Night SmackDown. As of this past Monday, Sami Zayn was in a six-man tag with the Usos on Monday Night Raw. And that is just the tip of the iceberg. WWE has had a lot of crossover with zero explanation as to why Monday Night Raw superstars are appearing on Friday and Friday Night superstars are appearing on Monday. Now, while this isn't a confirmation, Brian Alvarez notes that his sources in WWE, whoever they may be, have told him that the brand split is essentially done and we could, we could uh, see and plan to see a lot more stars appearing on the brand they technically aren't on. Then Andrew Zarian 
on his show, on Matt Men Podcast, claimed that one of his sources reached out to him and said that WWE has no plan on ending the brand split and that WWE is just doing what they want at this point. They don't want to come out and actively say that the brand split is over, but WWE is operating under whatever they have to do to make the shows better. And if Monday Night Raw stars want to show up on Friday, if they want to put anybody from Raw on Friday night or anybody on Friday on Monday, WWE is going to do that. They're going to do that without actually telling you that the brand split is going away. They're going to do everything in their power to tell you that the brand split doesn't mean anything except tell you that they're not ending the brand split or ending the brand split. So WWE isn't getting rid of anything. They may unify a title here, unify a title there. Superstars may cross over, but they're going to do anything that they want except tell you that the brand split is officially over and it was a fucking failure. WWE can't say this. They can't actively say this because it's not what Fox and NBC Universal want. And I said this on one of the shows I did earlier in the week. Fox wants brand exclusivity. They're not going to have WWE come out on Friday night and say, oh, yeah, the brand split's over. The brand split is effectively over. We now have one main roster, and that is it. I think that would be beneficial for everybody. I think that would be great. WWE is nothing but reruns on Monday, reruns on Friday. I would love to see one brand and a lesser amount of titles in the company. WWE is not going to end the brand split. They're just going to do whatever the fuck they want. Then it brings me to what Corey Graves said on After the Bell this week. There was a hot take from Corey Graves. Whether he is able to say what he wants on his own or not on his show, it's still a WWE-produced podcast. Now, I don't know if this is a seed being planted. I don't know if he was told to say this and talk about it briefly or if this is his real thoughts. I would hope that this is Corey Graves' real thought. He shared his interesting idea on After the Bell, and he says this, and he hopes WWE unifies even more championships. I quote from Corey Graves, I want to talk about what's on everyone's mind right now this week, that being all of the gold in the WWE pretty much belonging to the bloodline. All of the gold meaning universal title, WWE title, and now the Raw and SmackDown Tag Team Championships. Vic Joseph is his colleague on this show. He says, Vic, I am just going to come right out and say it. I think it is time. I think it is beyond time. I think we take that final step. I think we need to unify the United States Championship and the Intercontinental Championships as well. Having the champions float, to me, just freshens everything up. It makes everything more important because there's less of them. Supply and demand. If there's only a handful of titles, the titles all become more valuable. I think it's high time we do this. Now, I don't know about unifying the United States Championship and the Intercontinental Championship. I say one world title, one tag team title, one women's title. Get rid of the women's tag team titles. If you want to unify the women's tag team titles, have NXT's women's tag team titles and the main roster tag team titles Merge them together. If you want to somehow, which is beyond me, why you would want to keep the tag team titles, unify those titles too. Unify those titles and have the main roster titles go from Raw to SmackDown to NXT on Tuesday night. WWE is not shied away from using main roster talent 
on Tuesday night. So why would anybody think that WWE shouldn't unify the tag team championships when they have done most of this year main roster talent in some way, shape, or form showing up on Tuesday's NXT show? We only need one championship per division. There's no need for two women's championships. There's no need for two women's tag team championships. There's no need for any women's tag team championships, if I'm, if I'm being honest with you. There's no need for two world championships. The only championships that should exist, if you really want a exclusivity aspect to it, is the Intercontinental Championship and the United States title. I do, I do think that they'd run operationally a little bit better. One WWE title, retire the Universal Championship. Roman Reigns should already be in the process of retiring the Universal Championship because he's the greatest United, uh, Universal Championship of all time or the greatest Universal Champion of all time. Universal Championship, retired. WWE title, tag team title, intercontinental title, like it was back in the old days. Those are the only three titles you had in WWF back in the old day. Then you have a women's title, right? Four titles. You have the United States title, five. That's all you realistically need. That is all you realistically need. Nobody gives a shit about women's tag team wrestling. Why they are even in existence is beyond me. Five championships spread across five hours of television on Monday and Friday. That is all you need. I don't know if Corey Graves was told to say that because WWE uses their outlets to plant seeds or not, or if he truly believes that. I want to think that Corey Graves is for the betterment of the product. I do think that Corey Graves knows exactly what the fans are saying, and agrees with most of what the real fans are saying about the product. But he can't actively come out there and say it. He's got a job to do. He's a color commentator on Monday night. But I truly believe that he thinks this, and this is Corey Graves speaking from the heart. I agree with him a thousand percent. Agree with him, no question. So we get Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn on the KO show. So... We got Sami Zayn as the guest, and Kevin Owens is ranting about Ezekiel and still going on about Ezekiel. He's got a match with Ezekiel at Hell in a Cell. Surprised WWE hasn't put that in a fucking Hell in a Cell. Owens and Zayn were very happy to see each other. Zayn says they had some bad blood in the past, but everything is good now. Owens says he doesn't even remember what it was about, so don't worry about it. They then talked about, you know, their amazing respective roles on Monday and Friday night. Zayn said that Elias and Ezekiel are clearly the same person. Owens then hugged Zayn because of that and what he said. He said he was very happy that somebody believed him. Owens then asked Zayn to come to Raw with Owens and help him call out the entire locker room, starting with Elias. Zayn said that it's not a good, good move and a good time right now because the SmackDown locker room and the bloodline are counting on him. Zayn then told Owens... It's not a good time, oos. And then Owens is there, sitting there and looking at Sami Zayn, and he, he said, did you just call me oos? What the fuck? Sami Zayn now using oos to talk to people, man. It's hilarious. He then told Zayn that he's not in the bloodline. So Kevin Owens is being upfront with him. You're not in the bloodline, Sami. He said, wearing the shirt and praising the bloodline makes Zayn sound like a moron. Zayn then said he was being nice before, 
He said that Elias and Ezekiel are clearly different people. So he did not like what Owen says, and then he took back what he said about Elias and Ezekiel being the same person. Owens then got upset and said they are, in fact, the same person, and Zane is not in the bloodline. Owens and Zane then traded, you know, they, they were going back and forth saying liar, calling each other a liar and a moron. No, you're a liar. No, you're a moron. You're a liar. You're a moron. Owens said that the bloodline left Zane high and dry on Raw. Owens said if he calls out the bloodline now, they'll make an appearance for Zane. Owens called out the bloodline not once, but twice, and no one came to Sami Zayn's defense. Owens then told Zayn that the bloodline couldn't care less about Sami Zayn. Zayn then told Owens he doesn't know what he's talking about, and he exited the ring. Owens followed and asked Zayn to forget about it and come to Raw with him. Owens tried to turn Zayn around, but Zayn pushed Owens off and walked off. Owens went back into the ring and he hit one of the guys trying to take down the Kevin Owens set with a stunner. He then stunned another one of the uh, ring crew members. And Owens exited the ramp, or exited the ring, rather, and walked up the ramp. I don't know what this, this segment means. I don't know what this segment means. Are, are we getting what I hope happens? Because right now, both guys are, and I don't really advocate for this ever. I, I hated it in the past. Because I do think that they're, I, I do think that they're great individually, are Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I don't know what WWE's plan is here, but clearly both guys are in the middle of nothing. Kevin Owens is going nowhere on Monday Night Raw. This Elias Ezekiel shit is, it, it was funny for the first two weeks, and now it's just painfully unfunny and unentertaining. I don't give a shit about it at all. I, I found it to be funny for the first couple of weeks. Owens did his best to make it humorous and make it entertaining. And it's a storyline where I, I don't even think WWE has an ending in sight. I don't think they have an ending in mind for it. Sami Zayn, you know, he looks like a geek trying to get on the good side of the bloodline when clearly he doesn't fit into the bloodline. He has no business talking to the bloodline, being mingled in with the bloodline, showing up with the bloodline on TV. He is a fucking sore thumb. He is the fat chick in a group of fucking beautiful blondes. You ever go walking down the fucking street or boardwalk and you see a, a fucking bridal party or a fucking bachelorette party, you see, oh, she's not bad looking. She's all right. She's okay. And, and then you see the one overly fat slob there, always in frame with the fucking bridal party, man. She sticks out like a sore thumb. Fucking Sami Zayn is the fat slob in the bachelorette party. That's who he is right now. That who, that's who he is in accordance to the bloodline. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see Sami Zayn in that role. Now, like I said, I don't advocate. I don't advocate for Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens to be a tag team. But I think it's about time. And now that we have one tag team division for now and one set of tag team championships, the Usos are clearly going to be in need of challengers. And right now, there is none. There is none. The Viking Raiders are as good as gone. Los Lotharios are geeks. There is no tag teams right now. Street Profit. I don't give a shit about the Street Profits and the Usos. I don't. We've seen it way too many times before, and I don't care. Alpha Academy, they're not challenging for the tag team title. WWE, even though they merged the tag team championships, they still have no division. Zero division. 
So what we're looking at right now is the potential of Kevin Owens trying to convince Sami Zayn that the bloodline is not with him, not for him, pulls him back to reality, and Sami Zayn realizes this, teams with Kevin Owens, and we get the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens going into one of the major stadium shows for the tag team championships. I'm on board with that. Because right now, WWE is in dire need of tag teams. And Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are doing jack shit right now on Friday night and Monday night. I think that works. So if that is the plan, I'm all for that. Ricochet. He holds another useless championship in WWE. The Intercontinental Championship is worthless at this moment in time. He made his entrance. He's teaming with Drew Gulak tonight against Gunther and Ludwig Kaiser, Marcel Bartel. If you guys haven't watched uh, SmackDown in the last couple of weeks, this is Marcel Bartel. WWE actually changed Ludwig Kaiser's name two different times on WWE's official website, going back and forth with how they spell his name. And how do I know this? Because I saw it tweeted out on social media. So we got Ricochet teaming with Gulak. Gulak's got a problem with Gunther. And Gunther's got a problem with Gulak. So Ricochet, the dumb fucking stupid friend here, looking to do good and stand up for his little buddy, is only going to get the short end of the stick here. Very tag team heavy SmackDown up until this point. We even got a tag team six-man main event. Later on the show, Ricochet and Drew Gulak against Gunther and Ludwig Kaiser. Now, I think, and I didn't like it before. I wasn't with it before. I I just didn't see the need to break up Imperium. I I did not see the need to break up Imperium. You call Marcel Bartel and Fabian Eichner up and Gunther up at the same time, and you, you bring that group to Friday Night SmackDown. They were fucking incredible were Imperium. I prefer Gunther's old theme music. I do. I I think his old theme music was fucking brilliant. His entrance, everything that Triple H did for his entrance was fucking brilliant. It was the best entrance in all of WWE. It's not what it used to be, but I'm really getting on board with Ludwig Kaiser, Marcel Bartel, acting almost as Aiden English did for Rusev with Rusev Day. He came out and he sang Rusev to the ring. That was an oddball pairing when we first thought about it and seen it. We're like, what the fuck is this? And all of a sudden, it became one of the best things on WWE television. I'm not, I'm not saying that Ludwig Kaiser and Gunther are going to become the best thing on WWE television or even close to being one of the best things on WWE television, but I'm starting to really appreciate and get on board with Ludwig Kaiser and the way he introduces Gunther. There's, there's an epicness to it. It feels important. As long as WWE continues to give him that moment and give him that introduction, I do want to see him in the ring because Marcel is a great professional wrestler. But as long as they continue to give him that time to introduce Gunther, I think it's going to get over slowly but surely. And I do think it's going to make for a great entrance for Gunther uh, Gunther as the time goes on. So what we got here is a tag team match that went about seven minutes. It wasn't bad at all. Uh, This was mostly about getting Drew Gulak in there and punishing Drew Gulak. But this, at the end of all of it, is going to get Gunther and Ricochet into a feud over the Intercontinental Championship. This is the direction that I hope WWE goes with Gunther and Ricochet. 
So Kaiser had an early advantage, worked over Gulak's arm. Gunther rocked uh, Gulak with a huge chop, threw him out of the ring. We go to commercial break. Kaiser is in control, wearing down Drew Gulak. Gulak fought back. Ricochet eventually gets the hot tag. Ricochet ran wild, hit a springboard crossbody on Kaiser. Kaiser rolled up Ricochet for a near fall. Gunther causes a distraction. Ricochet took it to Kaiser with a knee to the face. Kaiser threw Ricochet out of the ring after Gulag. Uh, Gu- Gulag. Like I'm playing a fucking uh, war zone. Gulak got the hot tag. Kaiser then rocked Gulak with a stiff kick for the one, two, three. So we did not get a showdown or a anything with Gunther or Ricochet. I'm keeping a very close eye on this. Gunther and Ricochet have not been in the ring together here. They haven't thrown punches. There wasn't any offense. Gunther was mostly on the outside for this match. It was all Kaiser. I'm glad Kaiser got his spotlight tonight. It was the right outcome with the right guy getting the pin. We all know Gunther can beat Gulak any day of the fucking week twice on Sunday. But what I'm looking forward to is Gunther and Ricochet for the Intercontinental Championship. You know, I think to this potential match, it's not going to be anywhere uh, close to what it would be at a takeover show, one of Triple H's old takeover shows. But if you put those two guys in the ring and you give them some time to really go in there and fucking kill it, Ricochet and Gunther potentially could have a match of the night. Could be a match of the year candidate if you want them to. Walter's one of the best fucking pro wrestlers on the planet. And Ricochet is incredible. You let those two guys go and they have an absolute fucking barn burner of a match. So I don't know why WWE wouldn't even think about doing that. I do think that we are eventually going to get Gunther versus Ricochet for the Intercontinental Championship. And I do think Gunther is going to be the new Intercontinental Champion. WWE right now is doing things a little strategically as far as a couple of aspects on SmackDown. McIntyre isn't getting the title shot against Roman Reigns until Clash at the Castle, where I do think he wins the Universal Championship. Gunther... I honestly do believe somewhere this summer is going to win the Intercontinental Championship because I would much rather that title be on him. He would bring some prestige to that championship. WWE's not doing shit with that title on Ricochet. What exactly is WWE doing with the Intercontinental Championship to begin with? Ricochet is such a great pro wrestler. You would think that him, with how great he is, would make the Intercontinental title better. He's not. Ricochet's not doing anything for the IC title, and the IC title is not doing anything for not only Ricochet, but anybody that holds the Intercontinental Championship because of how WWE's devalued such a prestigious championship. You know, outside the World Championships, realistically, the Intercontinental Championship should be the second most important title in the entire company. It is as valuable as the Women's Tag Team Championship. That I find to be inexcusable. Gunther versus Ricochet, maybe SummerSlam, maybe one of the big stadium shows. He wins the IC title. When McIntyre wins that universal title, who do you think is going to be lined up to take that title from Drew McIntyre, man? There's only one man I want to see, and that man is Gunther. So we will keep a close eye on all of that. We got Sami Zayn talking to the Usos backstage. He's still going on about the Usos, and he really wants to be involved with the bloodline. Zayn was in the back with Jimmy and Jay Uso. He asked the Usos what they thought of him. He asked what he is to them. Zayn asked to join the bloodline. Zayn asked if he could be an honorary member. 
Jimmy said, sure, you could be an honorary oos. Zayn said if they need anything, he has their backs, and if he needs something, they have him. Jimmy and Jay smiled as if it was, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. you can have us, but uh, we don't give a shit about you. Like I said, I think WWE may be planting the early seeds for Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn to get involved with the tag team championships and go after the Usos for the unified tag team championships. We got the Brawling Brutes. This is Sheamus, Butch, and Ridge Holland versus the New Day, Xavier Woods, Kofi Kingston, and their mystery partner, which was not a real mystery at all. It was Drew McIntyre. You know, the reason why these matches continue to be a thing is because the fucking dumb idiots in Little Rock, Arkansas, <laughs> they don't know any better, man. They're just uh, pleased to be getting professional wrestling on a Friday night, man. It, it's much better than going to the fucking farm and milking the cows and watching the chickens fucking lay their eggs, man. They got no fucking entertainment in Little Rock, Arkansas, man. So no matter what, this was going to entertain them to the highest degree. This match, of course, was going to be their, their fucking entertainment for the last couple of months. This is what they fucking live for, man. WWE rolling on into town, man. Instead of having the fucking tractor convention somewhere. You know, it, it, these people, man, the more you give to the WWE, they're never going to change. Fans were into it. We've seen this now for about four fucking months. Nobody gives a shit about the New Day and Sheamus. And Butch running into the crowd like a fucking uh, cartoon character. And, and Ridge Holland. How many times? How many times must we be subjected to see the same shit? Drew McIntyre or not, it's the same shit. Stop, for the love of God, no more. Now, was the match entertaining? Sure it was. When you got guys like Sheamus and Butch and McIntyre in the match and how good Xavier can be. Of course it's going to be good. Of course it's going to be entertaining. Entertaining. This is a suitable SmackDown main event. But we've seen this over and over and over and over again. So, Butch, he's in there, you know, doing his little scrappy-doo impression there. Let me out him, Scoob, you know. Butch, you know, it looks like Butch. And believe me, I miss Pete Dunne. I miss Pete Dunne. He acts like a fucking comedy character out there. But genuinely, from what I look at, it looks like Pete Dunne is having a good time out there. And that's all I hope. I wish WWE appreciated him a little bit more and what he brings to the table. But this is, I guess, what they, what they want out of him. And he's owning up to it, man. They wanted him to play a certain character. He's doing it, and he's killing it. I hate the fucking name. I think he looks like a fucking idiot out there. But he looks like he's genuinely having a good time. So Butch charged at Xavier Woods at the bell. Woods fought back. Heels took over. This was obviously all leading to a hot tag by Drew McIntyre. You, you guys know the typical WWE tag team formula here. So they had Woods in their corner. And they started beating him down. Woods recovered. And the faces gained control here. Butch tried to interfere. But McIntyre knocked him down. The faces backed Ridge. Holland into their corner. Holland took over after Butch's interference on the New Day of McIntyre. Holland hit a power slam on Kofi. Sheamus followed up with a knee off the top rope. Sheamus went for the Irish curse backbreaker, but Kingston counted. 
Kingston went for the tag, but the heels pulled McIntyre and Woods off the apron. Sheamus then hit the Alabama slam for a close near fall. Kingston fought back, hit the SOS on Sheamus. McIntyre got the hot tag, ran wild on the heels. Woods took out Butch at ringside. Kingston followed up with a trustful dive, taking out all of the brawling brutes. So we're back in the ring. Holland went for the power slam on McIntyre, but he slipped out. McIntyre hit the Glasgow kiss, followed up with a Claymore kick. Woods tagged in, hit the big elbow drop off the top rope for the one, two, three. After the match was over, the New Day did their cheesy comedy shtick with the trombone, and McIntyre danced as SmackDown went off the air. It was entertaining for what it was, but I think we need to start now moving on from the New Day and the Brawling Brutes. Nobody wants to see this shit anymore. Nobody. I think the Brawling Brutes could be a very viable group to get involved with the Tag Team Championships. I do think the New Day at some point, you know, they are always a solid tag. WWE has teams to make it work, and it looks like we're getting a little bit more faction heavy in WWE. We got the Brawling Brutes. We got the Bloodline. We got the Maximum Male Models coming up. Right? We got, uh, who else? Uh, we got Judgment Day. WWE is getting kind of faction heavy for some reason. I don't mind it. I, I think it works. And I do think that they are taking a page out of the AEW playbook. I don't like all of the roster being, you know, accumulated in groups. But in WWE, it's unlike them to do that. So it's a welcome sight because we don't usually see that all too often. I think that works. So we're starting to see a little bit more faction warfare and, and WWE become a little bit more faction heavy on Monday and Friday night. It's not something that is bad. It's not something that's bad. I think it works. As long as the people that you're aligning together ultimately make sense. SmackDown was boring. It was a lifeless show. WWE put no effort into it because of the NBA playoff game with the Celtics and the Miami Heat last night. And honestly, WWE and even AEW they haven't been putting their, their best foot forward. They have not. WWE never puts their best foot forward, but AEW, you know Tony Khan has his finger on the pulse. You know Tony Khan probably has things that he wants to do, but he's waiting until everything dies down and pro wrestling is the only thing on TV. He doesn't want to compete with the NBA playoffs. He doesn't want to compete with the NHL playoffs. He's probably waiting on something big, a.k.a. blood and guts. He's waiting on blood and guts until the NBA playoffs and all these playoff games are over and done with so everybody can focus on AEW and not have their attention in four different other places. WWE, when they are actively competing with something as big as the NBA playoffs, they don't do anything. They don't put on a good show at all. They don't put on a good show in a normal week. But when they are actively competing against something, it just comes off more so, and it's blatant right in your face, that they put zero effort into anything on the show. You, you saw that tonight. It was nothing more than a tag team heavy SmackDown. And that's what we got. Nothing more than a lifeless tag team heavy SmackDown on Friday night. Guys, we got 1,400 in the venue tonight. I appreciate you all joining me on this happy hour Saturday afternoon right here on YouTube. Make sure you guys hit that thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button down below. We got 1,400 plus in the venue, man. I only see 678 likes. We need 1,000 minimum on today's OTS for this rare Saturday afternoon SmackDown post show from the OTS venue, man. 
Hit that thumbs up if you guys are in the chat and have not done so yet. It helps out the video tremendously. Also, get those super chats in. I see you guys getting those super chats in. We'll hang out with our cold beverages at the end of the show. And we got three new members tonight, man. Dirty Hamster, 95. We got Carl Peterson and Garrett Burke becoming new members, VIPs, right here on OTS. I appreciate you guys very, very much. What are you guys drinking tonight for happy hour, man? Drinks are on me. Make sure you guys follow me on social media as well. Jesse and I will be on Twitter live. Twitter spaces tomorrow afternoon with a double or nothing preview and predictions. So make sure you guys follow me on Twitter at JD from NY206. Hit that subscribe button down below. Turn on the bell for all notifications. And today's show is sponsored by my great friends over at Honey. Joinhoney.com slash off the scripts. I know you guys love saving some money when you're shopping online, man. Don't know why you guys don't have Honey. Coupon codes are a thing of the past. And Honey is a free online shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. Honey supports over 30,000 stores online. Sites that range from tech, gaming products, fashion brands, and even food delivery now, imagine you guys are shopping. Father's Day is coming up, man. I know you guys got to go and get something great for your father for Father's Day and show your father some appreciation and how much you love him. So imagine you're shopping for Father's Day and you're on one of your favorite sites. When you go to checkout, the Honey button drops down from your browser and all you do is click Apply Coupons. You wait a few seconds, Honey searches for coupons that it finds for that site and it's going to save you money, man. You're going to watch the prices drop when Honey finds a working coupon. Now, I shop online for all of my cat stuff. Bailey and Bacardi, my two fur babies. I just got them a new water bowl. I just got them a new water bowl because the old one broke. And I found one that is perfect for them. Even bigger than their old one. And they love it. And I found it on Honey. And we saved some money. Honey has found over 17 million members over $2 billion in savings. And if you don't already have Honey, you could straight up be missing out, man. It's literally free. It installs in seconds. And by getting it, you're doing them and me and this podcast a solid favor, man. I would never recommend anything that I don't personally use. Get Honey for free today at joinhoney.com slash off the scripts. Start saving some money with Honey. And I want to thank them as we now get into the AEW Rampage portion of today's live stream on OTS. Man, I can't even begin to tell you how great Rampage was last night, man. It was a 5.30 showing here on the East Coast, 2.30 for everybody out in Las Vegas this weekend. It was bookended by a great match to open with Brian Danielson and Matt Seidel, and then ended with what I thought was the best women's match in the entire Owen Hart Cup tournament. Ruby Soho and Chris Statlander, who wasn't even in the tournament to begin with, she got placed in the tournament to replace Hikaru Shida, and they had a fantastic match, what I thought was the best match in the entire tournament, and something that I looked at that could have easily been the final of the women's tournament, could have been on Sunday's Double or Nothing show. Now, 
before I get into the matches, which was four, there were four matches on Rampage last night. I want to say this. I'm looking at the card for AEW Double or Nothing. And I'm looking at the card with 13 fucking matches on the show. Now, I purchase every AEW pay-per-view, not only because I do what I do here, not only because I have a podcast and I got a job to do and I made this my living, but even if I didn't have this show, I would buy the pay-per-view and I would support AEW because nine times out of 10, their pay-per-views are certified bangers, man. They are some of the best wrestling shows all year. They remind me very, very, very much so of what Triple H did with NXT TakeOver. You only get four or five of them a year, and they are absolutely worth every penny. The thing is, and I got into some arguments with people early this morning online about 13 matches, 12 on the main show, and a pre-show match with Hook and Danhausen versus Mark Sterling and Tony Nese. Fine. I could deal with the pre-show matches, the buy-in matches. There should be two or three in total buy-in matches for the pay-per-view. We only got one. I'm hoping Tony Khan moves some of those matches to the pre-show. Anna Jay and Jade Cargill for the TBS Championship does not need to be on the main show. You are simply adding matches for the sake of adding matches. The Anarchy match with the Jericho Appreciation Society and the Blackpool Combat Club, we don't even know what type of match that's going to be. That is going to be chaotic to the utmost degree. And we don't even know the fucking ruling of the match. That could burn the fucking crowd out in itself. Jake Cargill versus Anna Jay. They just added Darby Allen and Kyle O'Reilly to the show. Why? Why couldn't this be saved for a dynamite on Wednesday following the show? Why? Why couldn't this be a match added to Wednesday's Dynamite in Los Angeles at the Forum in front of 13,000 people that they also sold out. Why are we getting America's top team versus Sammy, Tay, and Frankie Kazarian last minute on the show? Now, I know it's been a feud, and I know it's been an ongoing ordeal between all six of these personalities, but why are you randomly adding it to the show on the go-home show 48 hours before the actual pay-per-view takes place? There are four matches on this show that don't need to be on the show. You actively cut 12 matches down to eight if you just spread everything out. Now, I don't want it sound like, I don't want to have it sound like I'm complaining, but I know for a fact that nobody wants to see a four-hour or worst-case scenario, a five-hour pay-per-view. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. I don't want nothing to do with it. I don't know who enjoys sitting, watching five hours of anything. We complained for years that WWE turned WrestleMania into an all-day extravaganza on one night. And here you are not complaining about an AEW pay-per-view with 13 fucking matches on the show? So when WrestleMania goes back to a one-night show, I want to see people fucking complain about it and not complain about what Tony Khan is doing. And this has nothing to do with the fact that there are four of these in the year. That's not our problem. WWE has 12 or 13 pay-per-views. I'm not saying that AEW needs 12 or 13 pay-per-views, but you could add another two to the pay-per-view. You have four right now. 
NXT had five or six takeovers, which was perfect for what Triple H did with the black and gold. This is what I don't understand. Everybody thinks I'm complaining. Oh, why can't we have nice things is what I heard on social media. Why are you complaining about what is going to be a great show? I never once said it wasn't going to be a great show. It's going to be a tremendous show. I'm very excited about Sunday night. What I'm not excited about has nothing to do with what I do here either. Because if I didn't have the fucking show, the podcast, I would not want to watch a five-hour wrestling show. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think these matches added to this show is necessary. There is the saying, and I use this term a lot, quality over quantity. Adding more matches to the show is not necessarily going to make it a better show. You know, I, some people may look at this completely different. I look at a show like this, and I would 10 times out of 10, it does feel like it should be made into a two-night show. 10 times out of 10, I would always be the guy who wants more after a show is over. I would take that 10 times out of 10, then feeling absolutely fucking drained and void of all my energy because of what we just watched with a double or nothing show to this capacity. You won't be left with wanting more. You don't want to be fucking drained and left with zero energy at the end of the night. Plus, adding all these matches, you know one of these matches is going to be fucking well beyond anything else on the show. And the crowd, why would you risk burning out the crowd? That's where match order comes into play and why match order is so pivotal. I don't understand why you would want one of these matches to be such a blow-away match that it leaves the crowd fucking dead for an hour of the show, and then we get back into something tremendous, and we got that one-hour lull in between. Why would you want that? Why would you want a dead fucking crowd? That happens all the time, without fail, during these five-hour shows. Triple H had it right, and I still talk about it to this day. Those takeover shows, you got five of them per year. They accompanied every major WWE show until WWE put an end to that because they were actually outshining the main roster shows. You don't think that Triple H could have easily, and I mean easily, booked a three-hour takeover, a four-hour takeover, a five-hour takeover. You don't think Triple H could have loaded those takeover shows with nine matches every single time? Do you know what he did? He gave you two hours at best, two and a half hours, five matches. The show flowed brilliantly. And at the end of the show, we all left with a smile on our face, asking, asking, begging Triple H, one more match, add one more match, add another match, two matches to the show. Why didn't he ever do it? Why didn't he ever do it? When he certainly could have, and he certainly could have done it on any opportunity, any moment he wanted to make those shows above and beyond by adding nine, 10 matches. He didn't do it because quality over quantity. Less is more. AEW's got two hours of dynamite and one hour of rampage. Triple H had one hour one hour of NXT every week and could have put eight or nine matches and given you a four-hour takeover every single major pay-per-view weekend in WWE, but he opted not to. 
He wanted you leaving that arena wanting more. He wanted you to tune into NXT the following Wednesday to see what was going to happen and where they were going to go into the next takeover. Never question what I think because everything I say comes from the fucking goodness of my heart wanting a better product. There's a reason why the black and gold was still, to this day, the best fucking product in North America, even better than AEW. And there's a reason for that, because their vision was flawless. Tony Khan has a lot to like about his company, but when he continues to give us match after match after match after match, and half of these fucking matches don't even have a goddamn story that is built and given enough time to really make the fans care about it, He thinks by adding more matches to these shows, it's going to be a better show because of it. No, it's not. No, it's not. More matches actually means dumbing down of the entire show. You're going to be numb to most of it, and you're only going to care for what we really came to see, and that is what's been heavily promoted on the show. Blackpool, Jericho, we got CM Punk versus Adam Page, MJF and Wardlow, the Women's Owen Cup, the Men's Owen Cup, the Tag Team Titles, The Hardys versus the Young Bucks. Some people are saying that that match hasn't been given enough time to breathe, but I'm not going to complain about that when you got the Hardys and the Young Bucks. People, people, less is more. Never question what I say. Everything I say always has a legit fucking logic and meaning to it. There's a reason why Triple H never gave you a fucking four-hour takeover show, five-hour takeover show when he could have easily did it. Every single time, every single takeover, man, we're asking, oh, man, I can't wait. I can't wait. At the end of Double or Nothing, I'm going to be sitting here with Jesse like a fucking zombie drinking a goddamn fucking Dunkin' coffee at 1 o'clock in the fucking morning. No. I'm sorry. Rampage. Brian Danielson and Matt Seidel had a banger of a match. Absolutely excellent opening match here. For AEW Rampage. Uh, This, I'm glad to see Brian Danielson moving around very well in the ring. I know there were a lot of people scared about his potential injury uh, when he slipped in between the ramp and uh, the ring last week. Obviously, it was nothing, but he's moving around very well in that ring. And he had a great match. Went 11 minutes with Matt Seidel. This was uh, easily the best match of Seidel's AEW run so far. And, of course, he's in there with one of the best pro wrestlers, if not the best pro wrestler on the face of the planet. Now, Brian Danielson was actually interviewed about Forbidden Door. Obviously, he knows everybody wants to see him in Okada. Everybody wants to see him in Okada. I want to see him in Okada. But he said, for all the the match, you know, the match requests he's gotten for Okada and, and myself in the ring and anybody else, you know, he says that he's got an eye on on, um, what's well, it, Zack Sabre Jr. He's got his eye on Zack Sabre Jr. because he wants to show everybody who the best technical pro wrestler is on the planet. Now, that type of wrestling, to me, I always appreciate. It's not really my cup of tea, but if we saw Brian Danielson in a match with Zack Sabre Jr., man, that could be an instant classic, obviously. So I don't know where Tony Khan or Brian Danielson's heads are at right now, but I honestly think anybody you put in there where Brian is going to be a match of the year. That's just how good he is right now. So this was a hard-hitting match. I think this match went back and forth very nicely. Danielson hit a knee drop to Seidel's face early on. 
after a quick commercial break. He went for a cover. Seidel came back with a knee strike, took Danielson down to the mat. Danielson almost, at this point, started to get fired up, and he went back and forth with Seidel, uh, and, and Danielson caught Seidel midair. Seidel turned it into a hurricanrana for a two-count off the top rope. Seidel nailed Danielson with a kick to the back of the head, but can only manage to go for a near-fall two-count on that attempt. Seidel went to the top, but Danielson cut him off. Danielson tried for a double-arm underhook suplex, but Seidel pushed him off. He came off the top rope with double knees to the face. Danielson turned it around and hooked in a single leg Boston Crab on Matt Seidel. Danielson then dragged Seidel to the center of the ring, and he locked in a move uh, with the uh, submission that he still had. He still had the single leg crab. He locked it in deeper on Seidel. Seidel tried to fight out of it. Seidel finally reached the ropes. Danielson laid in some kicks to the chest, and Danielson then perched Seidel on the top rope. Seidel reversed and hit Danielson with a top rope powerbomb, which looked fucking incredible off the top rope. The two are back up. They fight back and forth in the center of the ring. Seidel hit a knee to the face, but missed a follow-up. Danielson nailed him with a running knee. He hit him with the Busaiko knee, and then he did the hammering of the blows. They called it hammer and anvil elbows on Seidel as the crowd chanted along, and that was pretty much it. Locked in a submission after that, and Danielson wins via tap out absolutely awesome opening match crowd was into it the live atmosphere is so much better on friday nights on rampage man rampage is not gonna be rampage the way we all envision rampage to be it's not gonna be the rampage that we envision until it's two hours on a regular night in a regular time slot and live for aew Look at what the live atmosphere brought to the table instead of it being taped and the crowd is half fucking dead because they had to sit through three hours of wrestling. Most of those Rampage crowds on a week-to-week basis are are mid at best. Why is that? They got to sit through a dark uh, elevation tape and they got to sit through an AEW dark tape and they got to sit through two hours of Rampage. uh, They got to sit through two hours of Dynamite and then one hour of Rampage. Five hours! of AEW television for a random Wednesday taping, and you don't think 13 fucking matches is going to kill the crowd on Sunday night? I don't know, man. This was a one-hour show. They probably got some dark tapings beforehand, but it's nowhere near fucking five hours. Maybe two and a half hours? Look at how energetic this crowd was tonight. And that is because it's live, and they didn't sit through a five-hour fucking taping. This was a great match. Young Bucks, this may have been one of the best Rampage segments of all time. I loved every bit of this. Kudos to Matt and Nick Jackson, and they killed it. Hardy Boys music hits, and the Young Bucks came out dressed in Hardy's gear. They pulled down the curtain that was behind them, and there stands Gangrel. With the chalice, he drinks the blood from the chalice and he spews red mist everywhere. Gangrel is there with Matt and Nick Jackson dressed as the Hardys. Awesome. Got a big reaction. And then we got Brandon coming out there and he's dressed in a fucking red thong with a fishnet top and he's dressed as Lita. Now, you know... We don't give Brandon Cutler his just dues on the show enough. 
We should start giving Brandon Cutler his... There's not many people that are going to be able to pull that shit off and, and willingly be able to do that or want to do that with what he did on Friday night. He played the role of Lita because he is the certified fucking bitch in the elite. And he played it well, man. He plays his role in whatever role that you want to call that. He plays it as as best as he could, man. He fits that role perfectly. He came out dressed as Lita. We got Gangrel. We got the Hardys. We got a Matt fact that showed up. Uh, you know, obviously poking fun at Matt Hardy. This was great. So they faced off against Taylor Rust, who was Tyler Rust in NXT. He was a part of the Diamond Mine stable with uh, Roderick Strong and Malcolm Bivens. And he teamed with John Cruz. Not familiar with John Cruz, but Taylor Rust. Tyler Rust, he's an ex-WWE NXT talent who got released not too long ago. So obviously the Hardys win here. And Matt dressed as Matt Hardy tagged in. Matt looked to be coming off the top rope, but thought better of it. He was going for a top rope move. He went down to the second turn buckle, and he was pretty much playing the role of an aging Matt Hardy, and he wanted to take it easy. He didn't really do anything outside of a little elbow drop off the uh, second rope. He tagged Nick in, and Matt ended up hitting a light elbow drop from the middle rope. Like I said, Rust made the tag. He was able to take out both Matt and Nick. At the same time here for a little bit of offense. That didn't last too long as the Bucks hit him with dual super kicks. Cruz tagged in, missed a move coming off the top. He was also met with a double super kick. Matt hit the twist of fate, and Nick came off the top with the Swanton Bomb for the win. If there's anything that we see on AW television is that Matt and Nick Jackson play better Hardys than Jeff and Matt Hardy play the Hardys. They were fucking incredible, man. They did all their mannerisms. They did all their moves perfectly. So when you want to hear Matt and Jeff call Nick and Matt of the Young Bucks, Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy cosplayers, the Hardy Boy cosplayers, it legitimately is a shoot. Because these guys, man, they practice this shit throughout their entire fucking career up until this point where they can actually dress as, as uh, Matt and Jeff Hardy and play the Hardy Boys on national television. And they nailed it perfectly. After the match was over, the Bucks attacked Gangrel because why the fuck not? Excalibur says that was an old friend of Matt and uh, Jeff Hardy, so why, why, why would they do that? The actual Hardys made their way out and faced off with the Bucks. The Hardys were able to hit double twist of fates on Brandon Cutler, and Gangrel took out Cutler with the Impaler DDT. Then Matt hit the twist of fate, and Jeff hit the Swanton Bomb on Brandon Cutler. Awesome fucking segment, really fun Probably one of the best Rampage segments in the entire history of the show. Darby Allen. He was backstage talking about Kyle O'Reilly taking out Sting. And for this, he wants a match at double or nothing against Kyle O'Reilly. If O'Reilly does not accept, he says he's going to make the elite's life a living hell on Sunday night. He's going to interfere in the Hardys and Bucks match. He's going to interfere in the Adam Cole-Samoa Joe match. He does not want any bullshit. He wants to take out Kyle O'Reilly for taking out Sting. Max Caster versus Dante Martin. This went five minutes. Dante Martin wins in five minutes. And Dante attacked before the bell because there was uh, a few shenanigans going on with the ass boys and the acclaimed with Billy Gunn at ringside. Um, 
Anthony Bowens is in a wheelchair. He just got knee surgery, so he's out again. Seemingly can't cut a break here, but Max Caster, very good. He'll do what he's got to do in the meantime as a single to uh, get by until Anthony Bowens gets back. But it really raises the question, is the acclaimed going to be a thing for the long run with Anthony Bowens getting hurt all the time? So we will see what happens there. But Dante Martin wins in about five minutes. Caster nailed Dante with a back suplex. He then went to the top rope. Dante moved in time as Caster came off the top rope. He rolled through. Dante went for a sunset flip for a two count. Dante bounced Caster off the ropes and rolled him up for two. Dante took Caster down with a few elbow strikes and then kicked him in the face before climbing to the top rope to hit a diving cross body for a two count. Caster blocked a second kick to the face and Dante springboarded off the ropes, hit a moonsault on Caster for the one, two, three shorts. And most of it happened in the commercial break and Max Caster on the losing end to Dante Martin. We got footage from last week showing Sammy Guevara destroying the TNT title. Dan Lambert was in the ring with the men of the year about to unveil the new TNT championship. Lambert says he was able to call in a favor and have a new title created specifically to Scorpio Sky's liking. Sky pulled out the title to reveal the belt. It was a very L.A. Lakers uh, TNT title designed, highlighted by purple and gold, man, with the tan straps. This may be the best-looking TNT championship that AEW has had in its short three years. What I hope this means is that we finally get an end, for now, with the TNT championship being traded around like a fucking cheap hooker on Pacific Avenue in Atlantic City. I hope that this is the end. I really hope that the TNT title stays on Scorpio Sky. The fact that they made him his own fucking title is great. I hope this means that he's going to hold that title for a very long time and really bring some prestige back to that championship based on how good he is on what he brings to the table as far as his in-ring ability. I really hope so. Now, what I also hope for, and I don't know how much of this comes out of the budget, and a Tony Khan could allot this, but I would love to see everybody, and this may be a little bit impractical, but I'm going to say it anyway. I doubt this happens. I, I think we go back to the old, just regular style uh, after Scorpio eventually loses it. I would love to see um, unique TNT championships based for everybody that holds it. Samoa Joe has it. If Adam Cole has it, if uh, Rusev had the green title, if you guys remember, or the white title, it was one of those colors. I don't remember. Um, anybody. And everybody that holds the TNT championship has their own unique TNT championship to their liking. But I, I know that's a little bit impractical, but we, uh, we got a great-looking TNT title right now uh, on Scorpio Sky, at least for the time being. Now, this segment was great. I really, really like this segment. Sammy and Tay were shown on the screen after they unveiled the championship, and they were on the screen with Frankie Kazarian. The three were shown entering American, America's top team's headquarters. So Sammy and Tay decided to smash one of the title cases, each stole a title, and then told men of the year that they would bring them on Sunday. Tay Conti said, make sure Paige is there as well, Paige Van Zant. Sky then challenged the three to a three-on-three match at double or nothing, then added that if they win, Frankie and Sammy would never be able to challenge for the TNT Championship ever again. 
So there you go. So, uh, Scorpio Sky cut a great promo. Ethan Page, we know, is a great promo. Dan Lambert, we know, is a great promo. Scorpio Sky took the spotlight here. He cut a great promo, showing great fire, showing great intensity towards Sammy, Tay, and Frankie Kazarian. Should be a match that is highly entertaining. We're going to keep a close eye on how Paige Van Zant has been training. We've seen some video on her Twitter page. It's going to be interesting to see what she brings to the table. Don't know what's going to happen there. And knowing AEW, maybe Tay and Paige Van Zant get involved with the men. I don't know what their mixed tag team rules are going to be for Sunday night, but I know it's not going to be WWE style. Maybe we get some women on men action here in a mixed tag team match. Maybe we get some intergender rules thrown in there for this six-person tag team match on Sunday night. It should be entertaining, but what I think a lot of people are going to be paying attention to is Paige Van Zant and how she carries herself in the middle of that ring for what is going to be her in-ring AEW debut. Mark Henry was backstage. We got a split screen with Chris Statlander and Ruby Soho. This is the main event. Soho mentioned that she realizes she's lost some of the fire she initially had upon entering AEW for her debut. She needs to win this tournament, even if it meant she had to beat her friend, Chris Statlander. Chris Statlander said she was in AEW from the start and has seen a lot of opportunities slip away, but wouldn't this time around. Now it's time for the main event. Chris Statlander was in the news, and I want to read to what she said. I want to read to you guys what she said. As far as her changing her gimmick, we had the resident alien of AEW, Chris Statlander, with the boop on her face or her opponent's nose. She, she played this comedic, funny alien, this sweet little alien on AEW television. And obviously, you know, that's what people look forward to when they watch pro wrestling. They, they like to suspend their belief. But Chris Statlander has changed her gimmick. Chris Statlander is no longer an alien. She's not an alien anymore. She decided she didn't want to be an alien anymore. And she said she had to move on to her more than a woman gimmick. That's what she's calling it. More than a woman gimmick. So she spoke to Steel Chair Magazine and Statlander revealed why she made the decision to change her gimmick on AEW television. She says this and I quote, presenting myself differently was something that I wanted to do. It was 100% my decision. I felt like as many opportunities as I may have been getting, I was never really being fully taken seriously. I wasn't sure what was holding me back. Maybe it was because I was too fun. Maybe it was because I was too lovable, I guess too goofy and easygoing. As I said, I know my potential and I know how much more I have to offer. If I wasn't given the opportunity to show everything I can, presenting myself in that other way, then maybe a new look, a new perspective will grab the attention of people that really need to see it and will finally kind of flip the switch in their mind to be like, oh, she's actually someone not to be messed with. I got tired of people looking down on me and making fun of me and being like, oh, she's too nice and stuff like that. Oh, you can take advantage of her, which has happened with my former friendships multiple times. I'm just here to show that you can't walk all over me. I'm not just some fun little quirky alien. Being more than a woman alludes to being different, and that's really what I'm all about, just being okay with being different, but in a much more serious way, end quote. What we got on Friday night was probably the best Chris Statlander that we've ever gotten. 
And it may be the best Ruby Soho that we've ever gotten as well. And I'm going to tell you exactly where we need to go with all of this after I break down this match. This was the best match of the night, in my honest opinion. This was the best women's match in the entire Owen Hart Cup. These two women killed it to a point where if you wanted this to be the final of the tournament, this could have very easily been on the pay-per-view Sunday night and been the final of the tournament. So the crowd was fired up for this one. They were obviously pro-Ruby and pro-Statlander, but by the end of the match, they were 100% pro-Statlander and 0% for Ruby Soho. So the crowd was fired up here. Statlander got an early advantage with a kick to the side of the head. Uh, We go to commercial break. Statlander had Soho perched on her back as she climbed to the middle rope. Uh, Soho fought back with a series of elbows, hit her and Carano off the ropes. Soho could not follow up as Statlander caught her in a powerbomb for two count. Statlander missed a charge in the corner and couldn't press Soho over her head as a result of hitting her shoulder earlier in the match. So Statlander rolled to the outside. Soho followed and tried to get Statlander back in the ring. Ruby hit a diving arm bar on Statlander from the middle rope and then locked in another arm bar for a submission hold. Statlander had Soho on her shoulders, drove her face first into the top turnbuckle, followed it up with a German suplex, and then hit a beautiful spinning uh, slam. Michinoku driver of sorts for one, two, and a kick out out of two and three-fourths. So, crowd was totally into this at this point. They wanted Statlander to win off that Michinoku driver. Statlander hit another big clothesline, tried to lock in the spider crab finish. Soho fought out of it, tripped Statlander, and caught her in a roll-up through the pin. One, two, three, and that was it. Ruby Soho advances over Chris Statlander in what I thought was a fantastic match. Ruby got booed. Out of the building at the end of the match, Britt Baker comes out with a microphone about to verbally berate Ruby Soho. She says nothing. Ruby Soho takes the microphone to verbally get in Britt Baker's face because this is the final now. The crowd in Las Vegas booed Ruby Soho out of the building. As far as I'm concerned, Ruby is going to be booed on Sunday night. Britt's going to be the favorite. What I have happened here on Sunday night now that we got this match, Ruby versus Britt, Ruby beats Britt. Ruby turns 100% heel on Sunday night. Statlander looked fantastic. I, after reading what she said here with Steel Chair Magazine, and after what we watched on Friday night against Ruby Soho, Statlander, two things. Number one, I'm glad she dropped the alien gimmick. This is as great as she's ever looked. She's gotten better in the ring since she's gotten back from the knee injury. Her gimmick suits her a lot better. Badass, like Lara Croft, Tomb Raider-like gimmick. Nobody's going to fuck with her. She is just all business, and she's played into it by having people take advantage of her. Red Velvet and uh, Layla Hirsch abandoning her. She's used this as motivation to just change her gimmick, and it all makes sense per storyline. She looks so good right now in defeat with the crowd solely behind her. What I'm doing if I'm Tony Khan is I'm booking Jade Cargill versus Chris Statlander, and I'm having Chris Statlander take the title from Jade Cargill, and then I move Jade Cargill onto the women's championship against either Thunder Rosa or whoever the champion may be at that time when you want to move Jade into the main women's championship division. I'm having Chris Statlander take that title from Jade Cargill. She looked great on Friday night, and Ruby Soho, no doubt in my mind, the heel heel work could be great for Ruby. The babyface run is not working. Something feels a little bit off with Ruby. The crowd loved her when she first came in. 
It died off tremendously over the last year. I think it's now time to explore Ruby being a heel in AEW. With that crowd reaction, there's no reason why Tony Khan and Ruby should not explore that because I do think that that is a role that she could greatly uh, really kind of take for herself and thrive in. But that was Rampage, guys. That was Rampage, and I thought it was a fantastic show on Friday night. So much better being live. And SmackDown, I wish I could say the same thing about, but it's just not the case, man. It's never the case on Friday night SmackDown. Guys, thank you so very much, man. We had up with just 1,500 people on this early afternoon to the start of your Memorial Day weekend. I appreciate you guys very much. Make sure you guys hit that thumbs up. We need 1,000 likes minimum, man. We're almost there. So if you guys are in the chat and have not hit the thumbs up, I would really, really appreciate you do that. Also, get those super chats in. You guys have been getting them in all afternoon. And hit that join button as well, man. We got three new members tonight, or today, and... The more the better, man. Fill up that VIP room right here in the OTS venue. Follow me on social media at JD from NY206. Jesse and I will be live on Twitter with Double or Nothing preview and predictions. So make sure you guys are in the Twitter spaces for that. I will be live tomorrow afternoon with OTS 432 and then live again for what is going to be a very long night for Double or Nothing. I will be on the live stream. I don't know whether I'm going to be with Jesse or not. I got to see what he wants to do. Either way, I will be live on YouTube following Double or Nothing, man. Let's start at the top, man, with the Super Chats. We got Michael Evans with a $5 Super Chat. Double or Nothing, JD and Jesse Post Show, and my fellow savages here in the OTS venue is all I need for the perfect night. Eight hours of wrestling tomorrow night. I don't know why anybody wants eight hours of wrestling, man, but... I will certainly do my best to give you guys what I got. Thank you, Michael Evans, with the $5 Super Chat. Paul Van Tassel with a $20 Super Chat. I would like to thank all the men and women who sacrificed their lives for freedom and giving us this holiday weekend to remember them. Comment of the afternoon, Paul Van Tassel, man. Thank you for the $20 Super Chat. And whatever you are doing this weekend, man, enjoy yourself. Carl Peterson, Garrett Burke, and... Dirty Hamster 95. Thank you guys for the memberships here in the OTS venue. Costa with a $5 super chat. TK should try to make a deal with Turner and CBS to get Rampage on CW. Thoughts? I hate the CW, man. I don't think the CW is a very wrestling savvy network. They got all those fucking lame, cringe teen shows over there. Nobody wants to see that over there. Joshua Simo with a 999 Super Chat. So Sasha and Naomi walk out and get the book thrown at them. Yeah, WWE is known for advertising matches. They know it won't happen. How much sense does that make? Your guess is as good as mine, Joshua. That's why I said what I said earlier. WWE are very hypocritical in what they do, man. Plus, Sasha and Naomi are suspended without pay, which I think is fucked up. Which we'll talk about that tomorrow on OTS. Lord Quaz with a $5 super chat. Hey, JD, did you see the new Chris Jericho Wizard t-shirt? I tagged you in it on Twitter. I know you said you were waiting for that one. Yes, I did, man. It looks fucking great. I may have to pick that one up. Jay Coyle with a $5 super chat. I probably won't get to sleep until after 6 a.m. on Monday with Double or Nothing having so many matches. Still excited for it, but it'll be a long one. 
Jay, I, I don't know how you UK guys do it, man. My goodness, man. I, I feel so bad for you guys. Holy shit. That is a long, long night, man. Michelle Moran with a $5 super chat. Roman is no longer being advertised for Money in the Bank. Think they will keep him off that pay-per-view too. Now it's no longer a stadium show. No more dancing, Drew, please. I don't know, man. I, I do think, well, listen, they're moving to the MGM Grand. It still fits 17,000 people. WWE is nowhere even near a sellout for 4th of July weekend for Money in the Bank in Las Vegas. So they're going to need to advertise Roman Reigns in a big money match if they want to even come close to selling that out. So I do think that he will be advertised for that show. Fujins Henry with a 499 Super Chat. He, 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 he. <laughs> Thank you, Fujins. Smiley Raquel, man. Nobody likes Smiley Raquel. Matthew Sandate. Haven't seen Matthew Sandate in the chat in a while, man. 999 Super Chat. Hey, JD, I'm turning 28 today. I never felt better. Thank you for everything that you do and giving your honest opinion on wrestling, cold beverages, and music. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Cheers. Matthew Sandate, I appreciate you, brother. Everybody in the chat, man, throw up those whiskey glasses for Matthew Sandate turning 28 today. Dirty Hamster. Not only did he become a new member in the VIP club, but he also is given a $10 super chat. Thank you, Dirty Hamster. I've been subscribed to you on YouTube since October 16, 2017. OTS for life. Thanks to you for all that you do number one podcast watch AEW Soho vs. Statlander was great fell asleep before Smackdown even started not surprised there Dirty Hamster thank you so much man you've been with me for almost five years now man cheers to you brother have a great Memorial Day weekend Tony Khan's empty white claw with a $5 super chat I really don't like Tony putting 13 matches on double or nothing He's trying way too hard to be a people pleaser than putting the best show possible. Tony Khan's Empty White Claw. I uh, love the name and I love the comment, man. I I absolutely agree with you with the five dollar super chat. I I do think that um, these these shows, you know, four or five times a year should be reserved for the best of the best. You don't necessarily have to put everybody on the show to please everybody. That's exactly what WWE did with WrestleMania, and that's why it ended up being an eight-hour shit show. I'd much rather see a two-night show at four hours each. It's so much more digestible at that point. Joseph Taylor with a $2 Super Chat. Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. is a five-star match. I agree. Furious Nation with two $5 Super Chats. What's up, JD? You aren't the only one who thinks that 13 matches on Double or Nothing is unnecessary, man. Quality over con- qua- quality over quantity should still be a good show, though. Furious, th- there are so many people that thought I was shitting on Double or Nothing before I even watched it. Completely void of the point I was trying to make, thinking I was shitting on AEW for the sake of shitting on AEW. These people are fucking nimrods, man. Brain-dead geeks. The reason I said what I said is because I truly believe Triple H had the right way to go about pay-per-view. Tony Khan, 13 matches is completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. I mean, he's going to sell this pay-per-view. If you want to do eight or nine matches, fine. Fine. To me, that's sufficient enough. 13 matches? He's waiting for the NBA uh, Game 7 between the Celtics and the Heat to end before we get CM Punk and Adam Page. 
I don't understand why that's even a thing. Who gives a shit? Why are you concerned about an NBA playoff game while you're on pay-per-view? It's ridiculous, man. People need to, people love putting words in my mouth. It's always the case. Yet I'm an AEW shill. Everybody thinks I'm an AEW shill. A shill. Every time I shit on the product, they don't like it. But they, they have no problem calling me an AEW shill. In your opinion, if Gunther is IC champ and Drew is universal champ, would you book Drew versus Gunther at WrestleMania? Also, by the way, pineapple doesn't go on pizza. I love pineapple, but not on pizza. Drew versus Gunther at WrestleMania, I could see it. I could see it. Gunther winning the Royal Rumble? I could see it. Jumpman20772 with a $2 super chat. Jade Cargill for Ring of Honor Women's Champion. Thoughts? No. AEW only. BGK Dog with a $4.99 super chat. I have no interest in Ronda Drowsy. I would rather see Becky versus Bailey at WrestleMania next year. I am totally with you, man. I have no issue with Bailey and Becky at WrestleMania. I have no interest at all for Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch, which you know is going to happen at WrestleMania in Los Angeles, in Hollywood. You know WWE's got that match already penciled in next April or March. Jimmy Fingers with a 519 Super Chat. Bingo on your Statland you take, JD. She deserves a proper push. Plus, she's an AEW original, and there is something to be said for that, too. I'm glad you guys uh, agree with me on the Statlander take, man. I, uh, everybody loves Chris Statlander. I think she is the one to take down Jade Cargill for the TBS championship. People wanted her to win the Owen Cup. It'll happen. Tony Khan knows what he's doing, man. Tony Khan knows what his fans want, and he hears the reaction to the fans. He heard that reaction for Statlander last night. And Hulagrim. Hula Grim, thank you so much, brother, with a $5 super chat. Never thought I'd see the day where we would see you drinking Mountain Dew. Hula Grim, it is uh, Dr. Disrespect's Game Fuel, man. It was a limited quantity. I had to buy it, man. I love Doc, and I had to support him, man. Plus, I didn't really want to have a hot beverage. During the live stream, I would have easily come on here and it would have been completely against my character and my nature to have a hot beverage when I talk about cold beverages on the podcast. So this is going to give me my caffeine fix and it's a cold beverage. Excited to try the re-released flavor called Typhoon that comes out Wednesday. Uh, Bro, listen, I don't drink Mountain Dew. I only drink this one. I don't drink any soda or energy drinks. This was the only one I wanted to try because it was Doc and he had a, a hand in choosing the flavor. And Furious Nation with a $10 Super Chat. Also, I'm looking forward to those AEW Trios titles, man. I'm looking forward to those Trios titles. Much better than a women's tag team title for AEW. Hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend, JD. Thank you so much, Furious Nation. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much, man, for the $10 Super Chat. Guys, that is all I got for you on this Saturday afternoon. I hope you enjoyed the... uh, Rare Saturday live stream for SmackDown and AEW Rampage. Issa, thank you so much, and 
I hope you enjoy your Memorial Day weekend as well. Thank you for being in the chat as always. Guys, I'm going to enjoy a nice shower and a couple of cold beverages. Sun is out. I want to take full advantage of it. So I need two things from you guys, man. I need those guitar emojis in the chat, and I need that music on Max. Guys, have a great week, and I'll be back tomorrow, man. We're going to do it big. We're going to be on YouTube and Twitter all day long. OTS 432 and double or nothing tomorrow night right here on Off The Script. Until then, guys, take care, and I'll see you guys tomorrow with some more great content on the channel. I'll see you guys later.